There are times when the sadness overtakes the heart, times when the pain seems to be more than we can bear, times when the soul hurts. In those moments, we long for something that we cannot get in our isolation. In those moments, the soul longs for words of hope from someone that knows them. Face-to-face -face words that will comfort, heal, give, hope, and remind us of the promises of God. God calls us to remind one another of His promises. He calls us to speak truth with great love. He calls us to speak hope with great faith. He calls us to speak a blessing. Coming off of a, an outstanding men's conference weekend that you're going to hear more about today, uh, God moved in a powerful way here this weekend in our men. And, uh, you know, I love it. I love to hear the stories of God working our student ministry, children's ministry, women's ministry. But I'm telling you, there's a different thing that happens when men respond to God. When they step into who they've been called to be and are free from what holds them and are passionate for the God who leads them. Amen. Amen. We are in the uh, second of our series, The Blessing. And we are looking at what it means to walk today in the blessing of God and the power that that has in our lives and the power it has to guide every step of our way. As I told you before, uh, growing up, uh, I was not in a family that did a lot of hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff outdoors. I had family that worked on cars, but that just wasn't something my dad did. And so I didn't grow up doing those kind of things. I grew up more of the, uh, the artist. I grew up more of the guy uh, listening to music. I was a guy in band. I was a guy that was the drum major of the band in high school. So art was a big deal to me. That was my adventure. That was my calling. That was my, my passion. And so I took, as I mentioned last week, I took art lessons from an early age, uh, second grade on up. And I remember a, a specific day that kind of further set that in me, uh, God's design and purpose for my life. My mom and I had gone to buy a suit for a school event when I was just a, a sophomore in high school at Redbird Mall. This was back in the day. And so uh, I went to a store that is no longer even in existence called Titus, right? Some of you remember that? And uh, looked for a suit there and... Hey, I'm an artist, remember? So I'm conscious of colors and style and all that kind of stuff. So I'm picking out the color suit I want. I'm getting the shirt I want. I'm getting the tie I want. And Mr. Crafty Salesman came over to me to try to convince me of what he thought I should get. I'm just a sophomore. My mom's with me. And he starts telling me, you know, which tie would go best with this suit, which colors would go best with this suit. I already had my tie picked out. And this guy starts trying to convince me of the tie that I should get, which was probably a bigger sale up for him, maybe, I don't know. But he didn't like the color choice I had. I liked my color choice. And so I said to him, you know, I'm an artist. I know what I want. <laughs> and so the guy just kind of backed off. I got my tie. I got my suit. I got my shirt. And we went home. 
I never thought much more about it again. I wouldn't even remember this story that it even happened, except months later, my mom said to me, she said, do you remember when we went to the mall and you bought that suit, or I bought that suit for you, and you had your tie picked out and the guy tried to convince you to get a different tie? I said, yeah, I remember all that. She said, I was just so proud of you for saying I'm an artist. This is the tie I want. And she replayed that story multiple times over the years ahead. That, that moment stuck out to her. And it became a powerful moment for me because it, it gave me a greater confidence that this is what God had called me to do. She recognized it in me. There's power when the people who matter most to us speak words of confirmation and blessing to us. Amen? It's an important part of parenting, grandparenting. It's an important part of being the church. It's important for every one of us because we all long to have someone come alongside us who matters to us and hear them say, I am so proud of you. I am so grateful for you. I love you. I see God's handiwork in you. I'm in awe of what you do. And you matter. And you have what it takes. There's power when the people who matter speak those words into our lives. Because there's, a, there's another message out there in the world today. There's a message that is predominant with our culture there's a message that comes from the enemy of our souls himself. And there's a message that just kind of comes hardwired into the package of being human. It came with you when you were born. A way of thinking that says, I'm not smart enough. I don't come from the right family. I don't have enough money. I don't have what it takes. I'm not cool enough, handsome enough, pretty enough. I'm not what that other person is. I don't fit in and I never belong. Those are the messages that the world speaks. Those are the messages that your own old self speaks. And we all search For that belonging. We all search for that acceptance. And if we don't hear it from a mom and for a dad, and if we don't believe it even if they do speak it, we'll go out looking for it. We'll look for it in friend groups. We'll even do some of the most ridiculous things to try to get someone to say those words to us. That you're cool. You fit in. I like you. We'll compromise We'll walk away from things we've known are right. We'll overwork. We'll overcommit. We'll try to please everybody we know in search of that one thing that we all long to hear deep inside. You matter. Now, sin complicates all of this because every failure you've ever experienced, every loss, every heartache, 
Every sin you committed and every sin committed against you reaffirmed all of those things in your heart. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes for us in that moment. He comes to you to say, I see your brokenness. I see your sin. I see what you've done. I see where you hurt. And I am not here to judge you. I am here to love you. I'm here to free you. I'm here to redeem your life so that that is no longer who you are. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel. This series is all about learning to receive and walk in that. To live in it. Not just on a Sunday morning, but to walk out of here and walk in it. Knowing it's true. Knowing it changes me. Knowing it has the power to transform my life. Our message today is called Walking in the Blessing. To understand this blessing, we're going back to the Old Testament. We're going back to the time of the tabernacle. We're going back to the time of the priest, the high priest whose name is Aaron. And God speaks to him and he gives him something very specific to say to the people of God. Because Aaron, as the high priest, represents the people to God, but Aaron also represents God to the people. And so what Aaron has to say to the people is profound and significant because he's speaking what God has said, and the people recognize him as God's voice. If you're a parent... There's a child who's looking to you because you look like God to them. They look to you as the closest thing they could understand to an authority and someone bigger, and your words matter. Your words as a parent, a grandparent, a family member, an employer, a leader, a friend, a member in the body of Christ, your words matter what you say to others. And the people around you are looking to hear a blessing. And spiritually healthy, mature believers know this power and they walk in it and they speak it to the people in their lives. They're authentic. They're not faking. They're not just quoting things they've heard. They are speaking and communicating. I'm proud of you. I love you. You matter. I see God's hand in his design for you. And I see what Jesus has done for you. And I see what you can be in him. Today we turn to Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. This is the passage we looked at last week. We're going to drill down into it in a little bit different form today. In verse 22 it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, 
Aaron would be the first high priest and he would be the one that God would give this call to. And he says, here's what I want you to say to Aaron. This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Aaron as the high priest, Aaron as leader, Aaron as the one who represents God to the people. Here is what I want you to do to bless them. He says, I want you to say to them. There's something I want you to say. What you say will determine the direction for those people in your life. And Aaron was called to bless them, not curse them, not confuse them, not condemn them, but to bless them and to bless them through the words that he said to them. It's a funny thing in in Christian circles. I'm not sure we totally understand what even all this means. I've known people who would say to their children, I bless you. I bless you as my children. The Lord bless you. They would use the word bless, but they would turn right around and then guilt them, shame them, complain, condemn, be angry at them in a bitter way and insult them. You think, how how can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Hello? We have to learn as believers what it means to bless and not curse. And you say, well, I would never curse my kids. Look, let me tell you this. In the New Testament, there's an occasion where Jesus is walking by and he sees a fig tree and he walks up to it and he notices it doesn't have any fruit on it. He says, you will never bear fruit again. The disciples are watching like, What in the world? And they go on into town. Some events happen. They come back out of town. They walk up to that fig tree. And that thing has withered to the ground. It not only doesn't have fruit, it's dried up and withered out. And the disciples said to Jesus, why did you curse that fig tree? Jesus never used the word curse. All he said was, you're never going to bear fruit again. If you're speaking to your children, you're never going to amount to anything. You don't know anything. You're always going to be a failure. Is that all you can ever do? Where did you get that from? You're always like, look here. Those are words of curses. Not by my definition, but what the Bible just described. If you're speaking those kind of lifeless words and insults, basically, you are putting curses upon your children. Hello? So we're going to learn what it means to walk in and speak blessings, which sometimes includes correction, which sometimes includes discipline, but it comes from a word of blessing from God. Let's move on to our passage. Here's what God told Aaron to say. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is what God told Aaron to say to the people of God. Not just once, but ongoing. Keep saying this. Remind them of this. Remind them it is the Lord who has made a covenant with them and has determined and promised, I will bless you. I will keep you. 
My face will shine upon you, and I will be gracious to you. I will lift up my countenance to you, and I will give you peace. They needed to hear that because they were on their way to the promised land, and along the way to the promised land, there was going to be trouble. Hello? And they needed to know that when they faced trouble, the Lord said he would bless us. The Lord said he would keep us. The Lord said his face would shine upon us. So now they were to interpret whatever happened in their life by knowing God will bless us. God will keep us. God will make his face shine upon us. This is the blessing they were called to walk in. God makes this promise to them. They were to walk in this blessing. It's sometimes easy to not believe and remember this when you get in the midst of trouble, when you get in the midst of struggle. It's easy in that moment to start to think, man, why is this happening to me? Here it comes. Where was God? Has he left me? Has he turned against me? Has his face turned away from me? And in that moment, child of God, you and I have to remember this. No. No matter what your circumstance may look like, the covenant from God does not change. He has promised to bless us, to keep us, and make his face shine upon us. Amen? Amen. This changes some things if you will believe this promise and you'll walk in this covenant. And this is why God said to Aaron, tell this to my people. This needs to be the daily news. Hello? This needs to be the website you check out when you're looking for an update of what's going on in the world. You filter it through this first. Don't open the mail and then try to determine if God is still really with you. You open your Bible and let your Bible interpret the mail that comes in your mailbox. Hello? You open the Bible and let it interpret that latest news site that you've opened up to click and see what's going on around you. You open the Bible to interpret that latest event that is happening in your marriage and your family and say, whatever is going on, I'm going to look at it through this lens first. Because the God of all creation, the God who has redeemed me, has made a covenant with me, and it is established upon these words. Amen? Amen? That's some good news. This is faith. Now, last week, we, we drilled down into this word bless. You remember that? And how we think of bless and often interpret bless through the scripture and find and bless in scripture as us speaking praise to God, our hands lifted to him, us serving him. And then we saw how this verse says, no, it's the Lord who reaches out his hands to us to bless us. It's the Lord who kneels to serve us. It's the Lord who gets down on his knees at the feet of the disciples and washes their feet. This is the Lord that we serve. Amen? But today, I want us to drill down to a different word. The Lord bless and keep you. Keep is where we're going to hang out today. When we think about the word keep, we often think about that's something we are supposed to do. And there's an element of when you're a follower of, of Christ, there are certain things that you and I are to keep, to keep the commandments, keep our heart with all diligence, keep his word as center in our lives. Those are all things that we do. 
But the focus of the Christian life is not what I do for God. The real focus and the freedom for the Christian life is focusing on what he has done for you. That is where you find the freedom. And this covenant promise says the Lord is the one who will keep you. We think of things like Deuteronomy 7, therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which I command you today to observe. We think in terms of um, us keeping and him believing in us. That's not how it works. The covenant and the real essence of the Christian life is he keeps us in Jesus Christ and we believe that he's the keeper, not us. Amen? There's a big difference. There's a big difference between you trying to keep it all so that he'll believe in you versus him keeping it all and you believing in him keeping it all. Those are two very, very different things. The word keep here in the Old Testament is a word that actually means to treasure, to hedge about, to watch over, and to protect. If a sheep owner wanted to keep his sheep, he would build a fence. He would keep them. He would protect them. He would keep everything else away that could harm them. He would keep them in his protection. He would build a hedge around them. And here in this covenant promise, God is saying, it is me who will do the keeping. I will keep you. I will surround you. Those arms that I stretched out to bless you now become the arms that keep you once you enter in to me. When you come by faith to the Lord, his arms are wrapped around you permanently in covenant to never be taken away and he guards whatever comes in to the path and nothing will come to you that doesn't come through his arms first. Amen, amen, amen. We find this use of the, this Hebrew word for keep, we find it in other places in the, New, in the Old Testament. For example, the same Hebrew word is translated watchman in Isaiah. In Isaiah 62, it says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. In Psalm 130, it says, my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. It's this idea of watching over, protecting, keeping secure, hedging about, preserving. Psalm 16, David cries out, preserve me, O God. It's the same Hebrew word there, preserve, protect, surround, keep. And the Lord is making this covenant to his people. I will be the one who does the keeping here. And it's your responsibility to believe what I say and trust that I am the one who will keep. Amen? Now we see all of this in the Old Testament. We see all of this in the high priest. 
speaking these words, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. So that as they journeyed toward the promised land, they would remember that. It's the Lord who said he'd bless us. It's the Lord who says he'll keep us. The Lord will bless us. The Lord will keep us. The Lord will bless us. The Lord will keep us. And this was to be their mantra. This was to be their meditation. This was to be their heartbeat. This was to be their news. This was to be their lens. This was to be the filter in which they viewed everything in life. God said he would keep us. If anything comes into our path, it can only come if he has opened his arms to allow it to come in. And it will be because it is good for us. When we come to the New Testament, we find that Jesus is the one who has become the great high priest. He is the one who has been the one that was pictured here in the Old Testament. So when the high priest spoke these words of blessing, it was only to be a picture of what Jesus would say as he spoke to his people, us. Amen? It will only be a picture of Jesus entering in to heaven itself with his own blood to pour it out on the altar and there for him to have our sins paid for, for him to walk back out of the tomb resurrected as proof it was accepted and that he could say to us, I am now the keeper. I am now the one. When you come to me, I will keep you. Look at what Jesus said himself in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Here is Jesus speaking promise to his people. When you come to me, when you repent, when you become a follower of me, I am the one who gives eternal life. You didn't come to me to begin a self-improvement program. You came to me and I transform you in that moment. You come to me and you'll never perish. You come to me and nothing and no one can snatch you out of my hand because you are now one with me. Amen? He is the keeper. Now this is so fundamentally important for us. Because your confidence, not just in regards to church, your confidence, your courage, your boldness, your certainty, your security, and your ability to move forward in the faith hinges on this promise. If you believe this, have internalized it, then you will walk forward with God in great faith and determination. But for the times in my own life, when I struggled to believe that this was even true, in the first years of coming to Christ, I wrestled with all of this. Because I would look at my circumstances and try to figure out if there really was a God. Because things weren't working out like I thought. I wasn't hearing my prayers answered like I wanted them answered. I was struggling with some temptations and I was falling into sin and I wanted to interpret God based on my circumstances. And so I was all over the page. I was up one week and down the next. I was excited and then I was depressed. I was happy and then I was sad. I was in and then I was out. I was up and then I was broken. 
It was just a roller coaster. And I didn't know whether I was in, out, saved, not, secure, what? Until the day I heard someone talk about this truth. And they suggested, take this verse, write it on a card, put a date on it that you internalized it, and put it up in your room. And I did. And I began nailing this truth down because I knew I couldn't move forward if I couldn't secure this. And when I began to understand it is the Lord who keeps me, not me who keeps me. It's the Lord who keeps me, not my circumstances. It's the Lord who keeps me, not other people in my life. It brought security and it brought peace and it brought confidence and it brought courage and I was able to start moving forward in my faith because I wasn't having to keep building the foundation over and over and over and over and over again. You can't build the house unless you get the foundation secure. I want to talk to you for just a moment today about three areas where Jesus has promised to be the keeper of you. And my goal and intent is that we might be a people of rock-solid confidence in the securing, keeping hand of Jesus. Amen? Our first one is this, is that Jesus is the keeper of your salvation. You know, the day you came to Christ was a day that he created. You didn't decide that all by yourself. He put that in you. He put that call in you. He put that longing in you. You came because of his grace. You responded because of your faith. But the Bible says even that faith was a gift from him. So that response to him is all even by him. He started it. He did it at the cross and the resurrection. He moved in our heart through his word, through his spirit. He gave us grace. We responded by faith. He made us all brand new in that moment. We were born again in that moment. You became someone that you had not been. You were resurrected from the dead, which by the way, before you came to Christ, hello, watch this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible says. You were stuck. You were hopeless. You had no way out. You didn't need to do three good deeds or five help, self-help steps, and then you could come out of this whole thing. No, you were absolutely, impossibly dead in your sin. Your soul was cut off from God. You had no way out, but God spoke. God ignited. God sent his word, sent his spirit, and you responded, and you came alive in that moment. The seed hit the egg, and the word came alive, and you were born again. Amen? That's how it happened. In that moment, you were resurrected. You came to life. You became something you had not been. You had been a sinner, and now you became the righteousness of God. And he did it all. You were adopted into his family. You were saved by an imperishable seed. You were made complete. And it's imperative that you know this truth. 
it's imperative that we hold on to this concept, belief, truth from Scripture, because this is the cornerstone and foundation of it all. John 10, 28 is the verse we've looked at. I also want to read to you John 5, 24. Jesus said, most surely I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment because he has passed from death into life. Those are all one-way transactions. It moves you forward to a place you haven't been and you don't go backwards. Hello? You don't be born again and decide, whoops, not born again, whoop, born again, oh, not born again, born, not born, born, not, you can't do that. You can't do that physically, hello. You didn't do that. Your mom told me, right? Every mom said, that's not what happened. You weren't born, not born, born, not born, born, not, no, that's not how it happened. That didn't happen for anybody. You were born. And you came to life. Hello? Come on now. Is it way too elementary for everybody? <laughs> I hope so, really, because that's important. That's just how, this is how we came to life. You were born, period. You came into new life. Jude, verse 24, says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jesus is the one who started it. Jesus is the one who keeps you. Jesus is the one who holds your salvation. It's not in your hands. It's in his hands. He is the keeper of it. Amen? Now look. There's a lot of churches out there today. In case you haven't noticed, not all churches are the same. This belief right here that we call eternal security, the security of our salvation, is not fundamental to every denomination out there. I'm going to name some names today. I hope it doesn't make you uncomfortable. I hope it makes you find your foundation. I know in this room there's a lot of folks who have come from different denominational backgrounds. I'm glad you're here. We believe in the truth of Scripture that has been consistent with most Baptist doctrine down through the ages. This church, although it doesn't say Baptist out front, has a Baptist heritage to it. Because the doctrinal position that we believe is most consistent with the Baptist faith and message. And that belief clings firmly to the idea and the truth that our salvation is securely kept by Jesus and none other. And if you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. And you cannot be snatched out of his hand. But... I've done my research, I've been around, I've been in some of these churches, the different denominations, and these do not all believe in the security of your salvation. I'm not trying to insult anybody today, but I do want to point out some differences because there's a reason 
we are here and not just joined as an ecumenical group with every other church in our city or state. Because there are some truths that we believe that are different. If you've been in an Assembly of God church, a Pentecostal church, sometimes called Church of God, more northern, eastern, they do not believe in the permanence and the security of your salvation. You can have salvation, lose salvation. Have salvation, lose salvation. I've talked to folks who've been a part of it. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a man that comes to our, our, our men's breakfast who will tell the story at the drop of a hat. I've been in that. He said, and I went to bed terrified every night, wondering whether or not my soul was secure in Christ. And I had to, with terror, make sure I confessed all my sins every night so that I could know that hopefully, if I died, I would wake up in heaven. There's a creepy little prayer I learned when I was growing up. Maybe you learned this too when you were going to bed at night. You know what I'm talking about. It's the one that says, um, um, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul too. If I should die before I wake, it's creepy for a kid, right? <laughs> if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul heal. It's terrible theology. Sweet idea. Terrible theology. And yet your kid praying that every night when he goes to bed, no wonder he has night terrors. No wonder he can't sleep. No wonder he wakes up at 3 a.m. No wonder. Because he's going to bed thinking about dying and hopefully maybe God takes his soul, but he might not. That's terrible. That's not confidence. That's not certainty. That's not truth based on Jesus. That's based on me making sure I pray the right prayer. That's based on me making sure I haven't sinned too greatly. That puts it all back on me. Who's the keeper? Me. It's bad theology. And it'll make you an absolute nervous wreck. You'll stay nervous all the time. Nervous. Nervous about what's going on in your life. Nervous about your soul. Nervous about your standing before God. And you never get past building the foundation because you think it's all up to you. <sighs> Assemblies, Pentecostals. Now, let me say, I recognize within a denomination there are different variations of those churches. And there might be some in some of these denominational groups I'm going to mention that may have adopted on a local form uh, a more security of salvation doctrine. I'm talking about the doctrinal stance of these as a whole. Methodist, Church of the Nazarene, Church of Christ, Catholics who are not Protestant. They all believe that you come by faith but if you mess up too much along the way, you won't be kept in your faith. You, you go look it up. You go check out their websites and then use the Bible. What does Jesus say about the keeper? Who's the keeper? Whose arms are around us? He's the one who's the keeper. 
and he keeps my salvation. And if you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. If you come to him, Romans 8, 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation. There is no more of him maybe going to cast you out. So let him be your keeper. He is the keeper of your salvation. But not only the keeper of your salvation, Jesus is also the keeper of your circumstances. Mm. You see, Aaron quoted what God told him to say. The Lord bless you and keep you. He'll keep your relationship with him, but he'll also keep your circumstances. He will be the one who will guard your life. He will be the one who puts his arms around you. And there is no event, no circumstance that comes into your life that doesn't come by his permission or will or purpose. I recognize that gets hard to hold on to when the circumstances become painful, when the situations are difficult. But the scripture repeats this promise over and over again. They remind us there will be an enemy, there will be trouble, but it is God who holds you in his hands. And he will do what is necessary to bless you and keep you. And so that you can interpret every event based on that promise. Don't look at your circumstances that are unfolding today and say, see, God's against me. See, God's not for me. See, God's left me. You've gone back to thinking you're the keeper or your circumstances are the keeper or someone else is the keeper. Jesus is the keeper. He will be the one. And when that event comes that you don't understand, when that event comes that's painful, use the covenant promise to interpret it. The Lord has said he will bless me. The Lord has said he will keep me. Now, interpret the event. This is a move of faith. This is a move we make as the people of God. This is what we choose intentionally to do. We hold to promises like Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's settled. It's done. There's peace with God. There's no more war. There's no more enmity. There's no more strife. There's no more, there's no more condemnation he's going to lay on you. There's no more making you pay for what you did. There's no more having to work off and correct the balance sheet of sin versus good behavior. No, there is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
a trouble comes into my life, I can actually rejoice in it. I don't have to rejoice and smile. I may cry. I may fall down on my face. I may weep for a night, but I'll get up in the morning remembering who my God is. Amen? I'll remember he's the one who holds me and not my circumstances. I'll remember he's the one who keeps me and not the enemy. I'll remember that he is the one who is the keeper of all of my circumstances, that he's working all of them together for my good and his glory in spite of what every news source of my life might tell me. There's purpose. There's power. He is the keeper. When the people of God knew that in the Old Testament, they could walk in blessing. And they repeated, the Lord bless us. The Lord keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us. Those weren't just promises to believe when things were going well. They were promises to believe at all times, even when things were going horribly wrong. The Lord is our keeper. But Jesus is also the keeper of your future. Mm. You get it settled about your spirit, your salvation. You get it settled about your circumstances. And now you take in this reality, that Jesus also keeps your future. Remember, you have entered into a covenant with the king of kings. This is not a temporary contract. This is not a contract where you screw up once, he tears all up and says, I'm done. This is a permanent covenant cut with his blood, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And this becomes our interpretation of all things in life, even our future. There's nothing ahead in your future that he doesn't have purpose for. The good and the bad, watch this, your successes and your failures. Hello. Because you are walking in him when you are walking in truth and obeying, he's blessing. He's with you. He's keeping you. He's for you. When you're walking even in sin, he does not run away from you. He is there with you trying to draw you back to himself, reassuring you of forgiveness and reminding you he is your keeper even in your sin. That doesn't justify sin. That doesn't give you an open door to sin all you want. In fact, it's the reminder that when I'm in it and I'm weighed down by it, that I can turn to the one who came to free me from it. And he'll keep us. It's what David meant when he wrote Psalm 139. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If things are going well, in other words, if I'm on cloud nine, you're there. But David also said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. You might walk off into some dark, devastating, dangerous places by your own will. If you're a child of God, Jesus is walking right there with you. And he's ready to free you when you'll repent of what you're doing and turn back to him.
He doesn't, yeah, amen, amen. He doesn't step back and say, whoa, I'm out. Oh, you're on your own this time, dude. See ya. No, he says, my child, what are you doing? I'm here. I know you can't hear me right now because you're all caught up in this. I know you think that that is so much greater than me right now. I'm here. I know you're deceived. I hurt for you. I'm here. David understood this. He said, if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. The Lord is your keeper And now that you're in him, if you put your faith in him, he will never leave you nor forsake you. And I can rest in that. I can find confidence in that. I can know that even if I walk up into this next chapter in my life and it is filled with attack, it is filled with accusation, it is filled with arrows flying at me, if it is filled with all kind of evil spoken against me, I can hold to a promise. I can hold to the promise of Isaiah 54. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against me in judgment I shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is what you and I are called to walk in and move forward, obeying what he's called us to with the confidence of no matter what happens. He holds me. He is my keeper, and he has begun a good work, and he will not leave me or forsake me, and he will be the one who completes what he started. Amen? I so desperately want us to walk in all of this as a church. I so desperately want this for all of us because I know the power of the enemy to accuse, threaten, cast doubt, and just insinuate some things along the way to keep us distracted, to keep us from really nailing this thing down, to keep us from truly trusting God because the day you nail this down, is the day warrior status gets imprinted on your chest. Amen? And you become powerful in the kingdom of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. Last week, as I said, we looked at the word bless. Jesus on his knees before the disciples. Jesus with his arm outstretched. Jesus caring for, tenderly loving and washing. Those same arms that washed and gave cleansing. Those are the same arms that now reach around you and say, I'll not only bless you, I'll keep you. You are now one with these arms. Would you bow your heads?
morning. It's time to come to that place of confidence, that place of certainty, that place of security. It's time to say to the enemy, no more. I'm not going to live in fear of my salvation being taken from me. I'm not going to live in fear of he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. I will walk in the confidence of knowing he loves me. He showed me he loves me in the cross. He proved his love for me in the resurrection. And today, I not only receive that keeping, but I'll walk in that keeping. I will move forward in my faith knowing this is true. Father, this morning, we're so grateful for grace that reaches out to us in our sin. But grace that is more powerful than anything this world even knows or understands because this grace is able to securely keep my soul in all things, in all places, and at all times. And that you have made a covenant with us in your son, Jesus. You've cut it through your blood. You've sealed it in heaven. You've proven it by the resurrection. And now we come by faith believing it. You've transformed us. And we know we will never, ever, ever be cast out from you because we are now one with you. And we thank you for that kind of security and permanence. And we will walk in that blessing. No more doubt. No more condemnation. No more measuring sins against good deeds. But believing you are the keeper of all that we are. And you are the keeper of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.